All right, welcome to part four of Through the Eyes of a Lion, the series. We are so happy to have you with us this weekend. Wherever you are, however you're hearing this, just amazing. When my daughter, Olivia, my oldest daughter, uh, was uh, two years old. Hello, Olivia. When Olivia was two years old, uh, there was a day when we were sitting up at a counter, a table kind of like this, and uh, two-year-old Livy, she had great balance. She was sitting on the stool. Just, just all my girls have always had tremendous balance. And, and I remember I, I was sitting there, and I was drinking a, a Coke. Um, I, I don't drink too much Coke these days, but, but back then, I weighed about 20 pounds heavier, and I drank a lot of Coke. I, there's no connection, though. Um, but, but I'm sitting there, and Livy had a sippy cup full of juice. I don't know what kind of juice it was, but, but uh, I noticed that she, she was not enjoying her, her sippy cup at all from the moment she heard my Coke can open. Her eyes were just tracking that thing like, like she was a snake and it was a, a small mouse or something. She just couldn't take her eyes off it. And, uh, and, and, and at one point, now we weren't giving our kids uh, Coke. I, I was drinking it, but I, I was like, no, you can't have it. This is terrible for kids. You can't have it. Write your teeth out. Oh, it's all this sugar, you know, delicious on the lips, but a lifetime on the hips, you know. And, and, and so I could tell she was eyeing it. And if Jenny wasn't there, I probably would have given her a drink. But Jenny was in the room. And uh, parent of the year. And uh, so um, I had to go get something from the fridge. But just as I did, I set my Coke down. And I saw her just her watching it. Her, 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 her sippy cup might have been full of poison for all she knew. She didn't want nothing to do with that. And, and so just before I turned away, I said, Livy, don't touch daddy's soda. And she goes, OK. And as I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm doing something, I, I hear the distinct, unmistakable sound of a Coke can sliding across the countertop, <laughs> and then the not-so-discreet sounds of two-year-old Olivia sucking down some delicious Coca-Cola. <laughs> At which point, without turning around, I said, Livy, you're not drinking Dad's soda, are you? And then I heard a Coke being set down, <laughs> scraped across the counter, and then I heard her say sweetly, no? <laughs> Dang it, she's lying to me. I said, Livy, are you lying to daddy? No. I said, Livy, you're lying. And she goes, no. I said, honey, fearing that I'm raising a sociopath now. I said, I said, honey, do you, do you know what lying means? And she said, yes. Lying means rawr, which is the most amazing thing in the history of mankind. And I, I was laughing so hard, I, I clearly could not discipline her. She thought I was saying, do you know what lion means? And she was probably just confused why her dad thought she was a lion. Uh, it, it, and I, I'm laughing so hard, tears are coming out of my, my eyes, you know. And, and I'm, I'm, to this day, I'm not sure what confused her more, me accusing her of being a lion for drinking a soda or the fact that she didn't get any discipline for doing something that was clearly a violation. But, but lion, lion does mean roar. There are very few things we associate with a lion, perhaps the, the distinct mane, but, but really that... That tell-tale, terrifying, unmistakable, spine-tingling roar that can be heard five miles away, that's lion. Lion means roar. And that's what we're going to talk about this weekend. In our first installment, we talked about things hidden in plain sight. We learned to see the invisible. 
In our, in our second message, we, we talked about standing on tiptoes, tiptoes, tipped on the edge of eternity. And we learned how the power that comes from leaning into the groan, leaning into the groan. In, in the third message, uh, we, we talked about how hope has a rope and the power that comes from keeping your anchor on a short leash, not letting too much slack into the line. And this, in our fourth and final installment of the Through the Eyes of a Lion series, we're going to talk about how to run toward the roar. That's the title of our message this weekend. We're going to learn how to run toward the roar. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be. You could turn there to Luke 24 as we talk about how to face our fears and how to uh, fulfill our calling and to not see any of our potential unused on this earth. Luke chapter 24 is uh, where we're going to look at. And, and of course, as we said in these four messages, we, we couldn't help but scratch the surface of the, the things that we wrote about in the Through the Eyes of a Lion book. And so we do hope and pray on your own. You've been You've been reading and studying these things, and, and then in, in, in small groups, community groups, uh, whatever that looks like for you, discussing it with other people. Uh, but I, I sure am excited to preach this, this, this final message of the four uh, themes that we picked from this series. But uh, let, let's begin in, in, in verse 13, Luke chapter 24. Have you found it yet? Did you found it? Did you beat your neighbor there? Uh, if you did beat your neighbor, would you please turn to your neighbor and would you tell them in the, the most humble voice you can, I won. I won. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, you, can, you can follow along on the screens. This is Luke 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles. That's, that's important. Remember that. How far is this uh, village away? Seven, seven miles. That's a, that's a good distance, right? Like, I don't know if you count your steps. I track my steps, and I have this goal. And it, it, it seems like, like, like walking two miles is agony. Like, if I try and get up to five miles, that's a long day of miles. Seven miles. They're, they're hoofing it. You gotta, when you read the Bible, you got to try and make sure you could smell it. You know what I'm saying? Because we read, oh, Jesus went to Galilee. Jesus went to Capernaum. This is considerable distances on foot, not hopping in a car, not summoning an Uber with his magic app. I mean, this is, this is literally just walking one foot in front of the other. They walked seven miles, these two dudes, to a village called Emmaus, uh, which was outside of Jerusalem. Verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. Verse 15, if you'll notice, we're in Luke 24, which is, which is after Jesus died on the cross. So what things are they talking about? That, <laughs> that. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Awesome. Jesus showed up. The, the dude had just died and been buried, right? What's he doing walking around? <laughs> he drew near and went with them. Did they know it? No, because verse 16 says, but their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Superpower, right? Whatever Jesus did, it was like, it was like a, an X-Men trick or an Avengers trick inside the mind so that what they saw was, was not what was there. Jesus has got amazing powers, right? So they're walking with Jesus, but they don't know it. This is hilarious. Verse 17, and he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? 
Translation, NLT, New Levi translation. Jesus is like, what does it matter with you guys? You seem, did someone just kill your puppy? Right? That's basically what he said in the original Greek. Why, why are you so bummed out? Okay? Jesus says this to them as they're talking about Jesus. <laughs> Verse 18. That was the sound effect of my head exploding. If you're new to listening to me preach, <laughs> happens from time to time. Uh, Verse 18, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things that have happened in these days? This guy is high strung. Can you tell? Like, how, how do you mean? Do you have a Twitter account? What the heck? Do you know this brain news? This is, have a hi, yeah. And Jesus said to them, what things? What things? Like totally stifling a laugh, right? Jesus <laughs> listens to the man talking about how he died. He's bummed out, tries to get him to tell him. The guy's like, I can't even believe you don't know. And he's like, know what? I wouldn't know anything about me dying on the cross. I wouldn't know anything about me being buried with 75 pounds of spices. What things? <laughs> Please don't ever tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? <laughs> what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he was going to be him who would redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said, but him they didn't see, like basically saying, these women are crazy. This can't even be true. In verse 25, he said to them, oh, foolish ones, <laughs> and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not that Christ have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? You see, he's saying, isn't that what the Old Testament said was supposed to happen? He's saying that their failure at having heart in this moment is as a result of what they didn't pay attention to. Or you could say that what they're seeing is troubling them because they weren't listening correctly. And so God speaks his word to us so that we can have faith, because faith comes by hearing. And had they heard what the Old Testament was saying, they would not be distraught now with what they were seeing, because they would be seeing it through the lens of faith. They would be understanding that God has a plan, that his purposes hadn't been thwarted, that he's just getting started. So Jesus is saying, guys, you would not be stressed out going through this enormous trial if you would have had faith because of what my word tells you. So verse 27, beginning at Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So beginning at the very beginning, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wow. <laughs> I want to download that podcast. Jesus goes meticulously as they walk this seven-mile distance through the entire Old Testament and shows all the things that were actually previews of coming attractions. He's like, remember how after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, God uh, ha had them kill this lamb and the lamb's blood covered? That was me. Yeah. Actually, Jesus was like, that was Jesus. <laughs> all right? He, covering up his what would I do bracelet on his wrist so they didn't see it. 
He goes in and talks about, about the blood on the door and the Passover. That was Jesus, right? He, he, goes, he, he goes through the whole Bible and shows how, how it was all about Jesus. And someone said, you could cut the Bible anywhere. It will bleed. It's red with redemptive truth. The whole thing's about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he's declared. He's hinted at. He's prophesied. In the New Testament, we see him on display. So, so it's all about Jesus. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying, if you would just understand scriptures, you'd understand Jesus, because Jesus himself said, these are they which testify of me. It's all about him. OK? So verse 28, then they drew near to the village where they were going. And listen, he indicated he would have gone farther. What's he doing? He's fishing for an invitation. And so he always does. He will, not, he will not kick down the door and come into your house. He indicated, oh, this is your stop. Well, I was going to go. I was just going to keep going unless, unless, unless someone wants me to not and come with them instead. That was totally a creepy Jesus walk, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. L listen, Jesus just basically gives them the space to invite him in, which is what he does with every single person, with every single heart. He knocks at the door. He's, his Holy Spirit draws us. But we got to do what they did. And notice verse 29, they constrained him, saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Awesome. That's a great trick. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And Father, we pray that through your word, the same thing that happened to them would happen to us. We pray that our hearts would burn within us and that we would see Jesus coming through as we study his scriptures, his words that testify of him. Father, through your spirit, would you help us to see Jesus in these moments? And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. I'm fascinated by the way lions hunt. If there is ever a documentary on, on TV involving big cats, they just, they just fascinate me. But specifically, the, the, the king, right, the, the, the lion. Um, what's interesting about the way that lions hunt is that they're relatively slow, especially compared to what they hunt. The, the animals that they eat the most are faster than them. Uh, lions also can't change directions uh, real suddenly, like a, like a leopard can. Uh, they, they pretty much, once they get going, they're going in one direction. And of course, many of the animals that they chase can, you know, the, the gazelle, you just see them, you just get like ADD watching them because they're boing, the boing, the boing, the boing, right? But lions, it's like pretty much they're, they're, they're powerful. They're like a locomotive. They got a couple hundred you know, yards in them. That's pretty fast. I mean, faster than us for sure, but they're, they're chasing things that are, that are super quick. So, so, so lions are, are relatively slow. Uh, they, they can't change direction midair. They, they pretty much are straight shooters. Uh, additionally, they, they often don't use wind to their advantage. 
They've been known to not, you know, many other creatures that are sophisticated hunters will, will make sure that, that, that the wind's not going to take their scent and alert what they're, they're chasing, you know, to the fact that, that they're there. So, so you're like, man, they're not that great of hunters. Oh, yeah, well, they have a couple things going for them. Um, they're really good at hiding, super good at hiding. They're extraordinarily patient. Oh, and they work together. As, as we've said, lions, they live in uh, prides. They're the only truly social cat. And their strength in the hunt comes from numbers and from the fact that they cooperate. And, and I'm told that oftentimes what a, a group of lions will, will do is, is, is several of them will, will flank and come out from the wings, from the back, from the rear, what they're going to hunt, what they're going to try and kill, and they will hide. They'll find a tremendous hiding spot, and, uh, and, and they, they inch up slowly. They, they inch up slowly. And, and most of the time, it's the lionesses because lions like women, the, the lions like people, the, the women do all the real hard work, and, and, and the guys are interested in eating and, and having sex. And, and anyhow, whatever. So, so lions and people are, are not too much different. But, but basically, uh, they creep up behind what they're going to try and kill, and they get a good hiding spot, and they wait there. They wait there, they wait there, wait, creepy, creepy, creepy. Meanwhile, a, a few of them will, will come, their job is to come from, from the front. And when they start charging what, what they're going to try and eat, uh, they, they, they roar. They give one of those tremendous five-mile-away roars. And, and it, it just scares whatever they're, 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 they're going after witless, right? But, but the ones that you can hear aren't the real threat. Because their job is to chase them in the way that they want to go directly into the awaiting ambush. It's a trap. It's counterintuitive. But if you could speak to these gazelle, if you could speak to these animals, if you could reason with them, you, you could tell them, I know it's scary what you're hearing. I know it's scary what you're feeling. But you actually should be running towards what's terrifying you. Yeah and not away from it. If you would actually just face your fears, you would stand a chance of surviving this because the thing that's, that's yelling at you, if you came straight at it, you could change directions. It wouldn't be able to, and you might live if you would just run toward the roar. And so it is in life. And I think we see a perfect depiction of this principle in action here in Luke chapter 24, this famous, this phenomenal story where these two men end up at the end of the day, they end up full of faith. They end up full of courage. They, they end up fearless and they end up running toward what they start out at the beginning of the day fleeing, what they start out running away from. And the key moment, the key ingredient, the absolute important thing that we need to understand, it, it all, the, the, the complete difference in who these two were, Cleopas and the other one, we don't know. What, what changed these men was verse 31, when their eyes were opened. That's when they changed from panicky, insecure, freaked out, frightened, to, 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 to full of courage and, and, and running towards what scared them. You could say that once they learned to see life through the eyes of a lion. Once they were looking at it through the right lens, just a few moments with Jesus changed everything about them. And, and now they're, 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 they can't get to Jerusalem fast enough when previously that's where they were. They couldn't get out of there quick enough. 
Why? Because Jerusalem, not only A, did they stand a risk of getting arrested. Think about it. Jesus just got put to death. And we know in the coming days, many of his followers are going are to get rounded up. They're gonna, they're gonna, it, it, they don't know who's going to be next on that cross. So, so perhaps these two are getting out of Dodge so that they don't get killed. Maybe like Peter, they're scared that it's going to be them. So they're running away. They're running away because they're afraid. But furthermore, we could also say, you know what? Jerusalem now was full of, full of painful, horrific associations. In the book, I talk about how, how hard it, it is for us to drive by you know, the hospital where we, 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 we said goodbye to Linda's body and, and the funeral home. It's just all these things. It's just amazing. It's, just, it's something as simple as a movie scene. Jurassic Park, the first one, there's a scene of CPR. And, and you, you just take for granted that that's often put into a movie just to raise you know, interest. San Andreas, The Rock, there's CPR at the end. But when, when you've actually been through those moments, something like that, it's just, it, it, it just, it's just absolutely difficult to, to watch. Jerusalem was that for these two. That's where they saw Jesus alive last. That's where they, perhaps, we don't know if they were there or not, that's where they perhaps watched Jesus with, with, with the whip going across his back. That would scar you. There's, 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 when you go through a stress-filled event like that, there's, 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 it's difficult to, to get through that. And, uh, and, and so now that's Jerusalem for them. Jerusalem is where, where Jesus was, was buried. And now, for all they know, where someone stole his body. Some enemy wanting to, 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 to really rub it in has, has taken the corpse. And, and so, so for, for them, it's just, it's just easier to just look the other way. It's just easier to put Jerusalem in their, in their rearview mirror and forget about that. And it's, un, it's unmistakable, the sorrow. In fact, the, the text says that their faces were downcast, verse 17. Do you see that? Their faces were downcast, meaning that this emotion they felt, it was just clear on their face. Their faces were, their heads were bowed. Their shoulders were slumped. Their, their faces were full of sorrow. And, and then you, you, you listen to the words. Tell me if this sounds like someone full of faith, someone giving the benefit of the doubt. No, it, it says in verse 19, Jesus was a prophet. He was a prophet. What does that mean? We don't think he is anymore. That's over. He was a prophet. And then, then we see it again in verse 21. We had hoped. We had hoped. It was going to be him. He showed a lot of potential. They're saying to Jesus, about Jesus. You know, the guy was awesome. I'll give him that. <laughs> this is amazing. Right? But, 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 but can we agree together? Life didn't go like they thought it was going to go. They had a certain picture of what these years were going to look like. They had a certain picture of what, what, what the dream was going to be and, and how it was going to go. And, and now their faces are downcast because their dreams had died. And I think you'll agree that in one way or another, all of us can say that's how life has been for us. And if we haven't, then, then live a little bit longer. And you'll experience disappointment too. And there will be things that, that, that you'll be tempted to allow your face and your, 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 your outlook on the future to be downcast. Now, here's what you need to understand, is, is that they're saying this to Jesus. And any time we speak of our future as though our dreams were over, as though our best days, we already lived them, we are always premature in mourning the death of a dream because Jesus is always with us. You see, he always gets the last word. Only he gets to say when it's over. And even when it's over, it's not over. He's not intimidated by death. He's not afraid of the grave. He opens what no one can shut. He shuts what no one 
can open. The resurrection is proof. What they're about to experience is proof that anytime we would definitively say something's done and, and cannot ever be fixed and cannot ever be healed in this part of our life, we'll never love again, we'll never sing again, we'll never dance again, we'll never know what it feels like to wake up without sadness stinging our eyes and causing sleep to be stolen. Anytime we would ever announce something is done, I, I wonder if Jesus wouldn't say, oh, really? Oh, 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 what's making you so sad? Oh, my dreams are done, says the one who can bring dreams back to life and dead things can live. All he's got to do is breathe. All he's got to do is speak. All he's got to do is open our eyes to the potential that's waiting. And so oftentimes, we get to understand things about him because of the difficulty we never would have known before. And so he has a plan, he has a purpose, and he's, he's up to something. And so we don't ever get to speak definitively about something being over, even when, from an earthly perspective, it is completely over. Because I, 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 got, I got news for you. He has all of eternity to, 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 to fulfill the dreams that we have here. If we have something that seems unfulfilled and it, it, it dies in a certain way, he, he, he would say, I, I got forever. What is 70 years if you live it? What is 80 years if you live it? What is 100 years if you live it compared to eternity where I get to show you what I was going to do, what I had in mind, and even on earth where we could see things that we never would have believed could have ever been possible. Now, how does this story end? They see Jesus, and, and, and then what, what, what? They are able to do impossible things because of having seen something that previously was invisible, who Jesus was. What do I mean? I mean this. In verse 29, they advised Jesus strongly, strongly to not walk any further than Emmaus, but to turn in. Why do you think they were telling this guy, come on, you're not from around here, you don't understand, you need to turn in here? because they knew it wasn't safe to walk any further. Why? Because the day was spent. They had walked seven miles. The, the sun was setting. OK, now, I know, I know, I know. We live in, in, in the future. I know, I know we don't have flying cars yet, but, but we live in the future from, from, them, from then. And when you talk about in the ancient world going on a trek like they did, you're talking about crude roads. You're talking about no street lights. You're talking about no headlamps. You're talking about no cell phones to go to the flashlight mode on your cell phone, right? We have so many options, OK? So, so imagine being in, in the pitch black. All, they, they literally only could light a candle to, to light their way. So, so Jesus acts like he's going to walk further, but they know, however, was it two miles to the next village? Is it three miles? To the next? They know that he could die if he kept walking. It was dangerous. It was not a good decision. It was, it was the wild things, right? It'd go prowl in the night, right? The, the robbers, he could walk off a cliff, right? They, they, who knows what could happen? So they urged him strongly to turn in. Why? Because it, it would be crazy to walk in the darkness. That's how they felt before they saw Jesus. But notice once their eyes were opened. Notice how verse 33 says, says this. Once they saw Jesus, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Seven miles in the dark. Seven miles, a dangerous journey. Seven miles. But they thought nothing of it, even because of the risks. Why? Because now they were filled with courage. They're Spines were filled with steel because they had seen Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you will have courage to do what previously filled your heart with fear. You can't do two miles. Oh, now they're just going to go seven miles like it's no big deal? Why? Because they got a message to tell somebody. 
They got to go tell the apostles he's alive, he is risen, we just saw him, we ate with him, we walked with him, and you know what? You should know he's alive too. You could be seated. I love it so much, and I think there's four things that we can glean from it as, as we seek to fulfill the calling on our lives as well. I, I jotted these down. Hopefully, they'll bless you, take them to heart, and, and put them into play in your life. Here's the first. Uh, reverse a fear. Reverse a fear. Jot that down. Whatever fear, fear tells you to do, just reverse it. There's like a rule of thumb in life, right? right? When, when, you're, when you're trying to do something for God, when you're trying to live for him, and, 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 and fear's voice speaks to your heart, you can oftentimes just, just straight reverse it. What do I mean? I mean, like that gazelle, so often when we do what fear tells us to do, we think we're running from danger, but we're actually running from our destiny. We think that we're running away from death. We're actually running towards death, the death of our calling, the death of God's plan for our lives that oftentimes involves fear on purpose. Victory, in, 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 in contrast to that, comes from facing what you're afraid of and going full throttle towards it if that's what God has called you to do. And this is, as you go through the Bible, so often a theme that pops its head up. I think about Esther. I think about Esther facing her fears, realizing she was brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. What fear filled her heart as she walked uninvited into the presence of the king? And if he didn't raise that golden scepter, it meant certain death for her. She was running toward the roar while fear would have been telling her, let someone else do it. But if she would have, God would have let someone else do it. Mordecai said, who knows if you haven't been brought for the kingdom for such a time as this, but if you don't, help will arise from another place. The death of Esther's calling would have happened, but God would have given the calling to someone else. The question is not, will God do what he wants to do? The question for you and for me is, will we let him do it through us? Yeah. Will, he give, will, we, will, will he find space in our hearts that he can move in? All right, so victory comes when you run towards the roar. Esther did it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did it. They would have been hearing the roar deafening when all of their friends were bowing down, when everyone else at school was bowing down to the gods of this world. And all they had to do was bow and they would live. But they chose to stand. They would not bow. They would only worship God, even if it meant being called weird, even if it meant being called stupid, even if it meant not having friends, and even if it meant being thrown into the fiery furnace. So they said, King, we will not bow. God can save us. But if he doesn't, then you're going to have to throw us into that fiery furnace, because we are not Gonna bow. They ran toward the roar. You think about David, classic example. David, who, 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 who had the God-given calling to fight Goliath. And I love how the Bible doesn't just say David faced off against Goliath. The Bible actually says taking his stones, taking his, 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 his sling, taking his staff, and comforting himself in the name of the Lord his God, he ran toward Goliath. Now, I, you, my hat's off to anybody who goes to fight a, a, a giant, if they're just a kid. But, but someone who runs toward the roar, who runs toward the, the, the direction that fear would be telling him to get out of there, whatever you do, we have to understand that God often calls us to go to places that frighten us so that we will fully trust him. 
You see, it's, it's necessary for there to be a risk. It's necessary for there to be a mystery. It's, it's necessary for there to be an element of, I don't know how this is all going to work out. Otherwise, there would be no need for faith. If you have all the answers, if it all makes sense, then there's no need for faith. There's no need for God. So God often sets it up where things are stacked against us to see if we'll trust him, if we'll walk with him, and if we'll run towards what we want to run away from. So here's my encouragement to you. Use your fear as a diagnostic tool. Use your fear to sniff out what the, den what the enemy is trying to snuff out in you. Because if God's called you to do something and you start feeling fear, that tells you that's the enemy that's really afraid. It's the enemy that's afraid of what God's going to do. So he's trying to discourage you from doing it. So when you feel opposed in exercising a God-given calling, believe that shows you how important it is. And double, nay, triple, no, quadruple your efforts to get it done. Turn it on the devil. You're trying to oppose this. Aha, I see how important it is that I do it. Because in life, only, only things that are that are, that are worth doing, really, we find that, that great kind of opposition against. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, just think about your life. If, if you were going to you know, sit down and, and, and eat seven donuts and a half a bag of Fritos, you wouldn't find any opposition to, to it. It'd be so the easiest thing you ever did, easiest thing I ever did. I always tell Jenny, it'd be so easy for me to let myself go. I can't even tell you how much I just, you'll just find me on the ground and a bunch of Taco Bell wrappers. I just, it would, I don't like the taste of kale. I don't want a green smoothie. I lie to myself and tell myself I do. They're disgusting. It's all nasty, right? The, the opposition is against things that are going to better ourselves. Right? In life, you, you'll find the opposition when you're trying to get motivated to go to the gym. You will find three billion reasons why you don't need to do that. Because the opposition, the resistance pulls against what we're supposed to be doing. Right? If you're going to go blow your paycheck in the first week with three weeks left of the month, how are you going to deal with that? Not my problem. Your little voice in your, your head that's saying, spend, 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 will be saying, it really is your problem, though. You're giving the problem to your future self. So your future self, thanks for that. Really, really needed that debt, right? So the resistance will come against the thing that we're supposed to be doing. You use fear as a diagnostic tool. So the things that we're doing will be opposed. So we, we flip it around. But, but know this, that yes, the reverse of fear, that's a principle, OK? But, but know this, that isn't always going to mean you doing brand new things, swashbuckling things fighting Goliath, the type of things, right? It's not always, here, check this out. Second point, uh, old things in a new way. That will often be uh, running toward the roar, doing old things in a new way. It's not always going to be some glamorous new thing, new adventure. It's you by faith believing God that what you're doing right now can become an adventure if you look at it the right way. So, so what could running toward the roar mean for you in this season? It could mean this, something as simple as remaining when you feel like bolting. Wow. Remaining when you feel, I know that's not sexy, right? Like, I want to go. I want to do. That actually can be you running away from the roar. The roar of consistency. The roar of that, Eugene Peterson called it, long obedience in the same direction. That, that contribution that you make when you just keep you know, digging that same hole, keep working in that, in that same spot, keep doing that same thing. What we praise as, 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 as faith, I think oftentimes can really just be flakiness. What do I mean? I jotted a few things down. Oh, that person who's been to nine churches, 
and, and, and tells you the problems with all of them, right? Go, like, went to nine churches. That person who runs out of every relationship the moment it gets difficult and the goosebumps wear off, right? Who, who quits at work and the problem is always the company and the problem is always my boss and the problem is always the coworkers and there was just no opportunity for advancement there. So you get fired, no, I just quit, man. They don't get me. I'm, not, I'm a free spirit. I'm, they don't understand how great of an asset I am, right? The, the person who, who, um, who, who constantly moves is always moving. Every, like, they get that, 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 like you heard the seven-year itch or whatever. Like, it's like the, the 17th month, month itch. Like the, they're never in one place long enough, right? The, 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 and, and, and all of these things in the name of following God's call. And maybe even in, under the guise of running toward the roar that you run away from it. But what are you actually running away from? Uh, being dependable, uh, uh, being known, of, of not fostering your addiction to newness. Right? I, it, these things aren't sexy, the long obedience in the same direction. But here's my revelation. There are very few things more faith-filled than being faithful. And it might not be glamorous, but to approach what you're doing, an old thing, but to approach it in a new way with a mentality that says, I'm, I'm going I'm to just stay faithful here, and I'm not going to rush off, and I'm not going to easily get discouraged, and I'm not easily going to get offended. I'm, I'm going to be faithful to the same wife. I'm, I'm going to be a, a good dad to the same Girls, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep preaching week in and week out at the same church. Keep keep serving where I'm planted. You see, doing doing old things in a new way. That's 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 true faith. When 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 perhaps the the, the fear inside of you uh, would tell you to to bolt, but to remain planted. Faith doesn't always call us to go. Sometimes it says stay, like in Luke eight. Luke 8, 39, there was this dude who, who was all freaked out after Jesus cast demons out of him because he couldn't join the ministry team. He wanted to serve Jesus. And so he, in his mind, you always got to quit your job and, and go work for the corporation, the, the organization, or get a job at the church or whatever. So in his mind, that was what he thought. I have to be on the team. And the Bible says he asked him. Jesus said no. So the Bible says he begged him. Well, I want to have faith. So I need to go. I leave this area and go. And here's what Jesus said, verse 39, stay, right? Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. He stayed. He, he, he thought it would be great if I could go. And Jesus said, yeah, but what a testimony it will be as you stay, as you run in this lane, as you bloom where you're planted, as, as, as you're faithful, and that's being faith-filled. One more example. There were these uh, soldiers, Roman soldiers, who, who, um, who got saved uh, when John the, John the Baptist was preaching. My boy Jay the B was preaching. And, and, and get this, they get baptized. And they probably thought, well, time to hand in our army card and march in the Lord's army. I may never. No, you know, don't, don't do it. No. OK, go ahead. I don't OK, stop. All the people who have been saved in the past few months and not grown up in church are like, what the heck are they talking about? This is what I'm afraid of. Honey, grab your purse. No, stop, 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 stop. They probably assume they're going to need to leave, leave the army. God's not going to bless someone who's a, a soldier, right? And so they go, they go to John the Baptist. They say, all right, tell us what to do. We're ready, whatever it means. And, and here's, what, here's what he said. Ready for a huge faithful assignment? Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. 
all right, what are we going to do that's amazing? That is what you're going to do. What does he say? I want you to be the best soldiers you can be as you follow God. It's not, it's not a new thing. It's an old thing you always did, but now a new way. I want you to be a soldier in a way that honors God. I want you to be a banker in a way that honors God. I want you to be a baker in a way. I want you to run in your lane and use the microphone that I've given you of your job as you serve me, as you honor me. Some people are going to get called to work in a church, but the rest are supposed to be salt and light in the world out of the salt shaker, making a difference by owning the platform they've been given. Don't you dare abandon. I met a guy a while back. He said, I, I, I feel God wants me to do something great, so I feel like I should leave my job and, and, and maybe go to the mission field or, or maybe work at the church. And I said, if God tells you to do that, fine. Unless he does, then you view what you're doing as ministry right where you are. That's valid. That's huge. That's important. And I'm applauding those who serve God where they are. We need to see that as valid and as important. Be a good soldier. Turn to your neighbor and say, be a good soldier. Be a good soldier. Old things in a new way. And this is also application to those who, who have something in their life they can't run from. Can't run from it, no matter what you try. What, what, how are you possibly going to do that? What do I mean? I mean, if you have painful chemotherapy sessions, you want to run from it, but you can't. You could approach that old thing in a new way. You, 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 the pain of divorce has rocked your, your family, your life. And you can't run from it, though you'd want to. You can, you can approach that, that old thing in a new way with new vision, seeing the invisible. For us, that meant running towards Christmas that terrified us because of all the painful associations. And we felt like pulling a John Grisham and skipping Christmas. But instead, we planned more Christmas worship experiences the next year after Lenny went to heaven than we ever had before so we could turn off the darkness in our own heart as we helped other people turn off the darkness by talking about the light, doing an old thing in a new way. There's a third. Accept your mistakes and keep moving. Accept your mistakes and keep moving. There's nothing more crippling than condemnation over things you wish you could take back. You're human. And, and this is war. And in the fog of war, we do make mistakes. And, and I feel like one of the things the enemy does is paralyze us with fear because he condemns us for things we wish we hadn't done and ways we've made mistakes. And it keeps us from fulfilling our calling because we, 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 we get immobilized by fear. I think about the fear and the, the way I've been paralyzed by condemnation over mistakes I made as a dad. To Lenya, and to Livy, and to, to Daisy, and to Clover, and, and things that, 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 I, that I, I would do differently if I could the first you know, five years we had, the, the five years we had on this earth with Lenya. And, 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 and pretty soon, I'm just in this downward spiral of regret. And, and I wish I had done CPR better. And, and why, you see what I'm saying? We start to go, we, we can all go there in a way small and large. The issue isn't, are you going to fall? It's, can you make a comeback? Can you, get, can you get back up? I was watching a bike race. A guy quit who had great potential. And, and the, the, spec, the announcers go, oh, I'm not worried about him now. I'm worried about him next year when he tries to make his comeback. They said, because the thing about bike racing is you're only as good as your last race. I think that's how we feel sometimes as Christians, as though we're only as good as our last race. And so God calls us to do something, and we failed last time. We messed up last time. We start to think about all the ways that we blew it, and so we, we're, we're stopped from moving forward. But let me tell you something. You're not only as good as your last performance. You're only as good as Jesus' perfect life in you. Your identity flows from him. 
and sort of beat yourself up over what you did. I, I get to thinking, like, Linia in heaven isn't stoked if I feel bad over mistakes I made. She's, she's, she's blessed by me living my life to the fullest here now. She's blessed by me accepting my mistakes and realizing I don't need to beat myself up. Jesus took a beating for me. He already took it. He just, just, just walk in his love and move forward. Accept your mistakes and keep moving. Keep moving, Nemo. Just keep swimming. It's not easy. It's hard. But one step after another, one day after another, one week after, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And, and it doesn't get lighter, but you'll get stronger. The burden will always stay as heavy as it always was. But if you trust Jesus, you can become stronger so what is the same weight can feel lighter. And in time, that irritant inside your soul can turn into a, a pearl. It's going to turn into something, either an abscess or a pearl. But if you let him coat it with his grace, layer after grace, layer after grace, layer, layer after layer of grace, it can turn into a pearl. Accept your mistakes and keep moving. I got, I got a fourth. One last thing, then we're done. Remember eternity. Remember eternity. When you know God's calling you to do something, to paint something, to write something, and the resistance starts pulling. I felt that, trying to write this book. I felt that trying to write this sermon. Uh, it's a distraction. I know I'm supposed to do it because of how hard it's being opposed, because I know you need this. And what helps so often is to go to the end. Remember eternity. That's what Jesus did. They were trying to pull him off course here or there. But John 9, verse 4, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, he said, I got to do the stuff he wants me to do while I got the time, while it's day, because night is coming. The night is coming when no one can work. I hope, if anything, this series has given you just a tremendous sense. I hope this book gives you a sense of the great and mighty things the great and mighty king wants you to accomplish, wants you to do, wants you to perform in you, through you, that it would ring out forever. But I also need you to understand that potential is perishable. Your potential's unlimited as long as you seize it while, it, while it's there, while it's day. Because the night is coming. The night is coming. The, the, the end of our lives are coming. All these things he wants us to do. I've heard it said that the, the, the opportunity of a lifetime is only good for the lifetime of the opportunity. Your calling isn't a Twinkie. It won't last forever. It's perishable. It's like milk or eggs or, or produce. It will go bad if you leave it sitting there thinking you'll get around to it eventually. The problem is God will raise up someone else and give the assignment to you. You just have the right of first refusal right now, you see. And so we got to rise up and run towards the roar. And so let me, let me just tell you this. Go to the end. Go to the end. Think of yourself on your deathbed. Think of yourself in heaven if you could advise yourself here, here still on earth. What would you say to yourself? I think you would, you would tell yourself, don't quit. Don't quit. Because you just got one life, and it will soon be passed. And only what's done for Jesus will last. And as you view the old things and the new things and all the things that God wants you to do with that perspective, the, the, the heavenly perspective, you will have endurance, you will have clarity, you will have power to make the wise decisions here that you need to, to make. And if you get knocked down, get back up and run toward the roar again. 
get back up and run toward the roar again. What have we learned? The reverse of fear, old things, new way. Accept your mistakes and keep moving and remember eternity. Friends, that's how we run toward the roar. That's how we run toward the roar. And we got to do it again tomorrow and again the next day and again the next day and again the next day until finally we come to that day, the day when Jesus himself will descend with a shout. Could we say it? With a roar. We got to keep running toward the roar until we hear him roar. Night is coming. The day is far spent. Let's rise up in faith. Let's seek to live for his glory. Let's keep our mind on heaven. Let's seek to win the lost, to plunder hell and populate heaven. Come on. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may we then in him be found. Come on. Let's Thank you so much for watching this teaching from my husband in this series, Through the Eyes of a Lion. We hope that um, God used this to open your eyes and to see what is unseen and to see that um, even in impossible pain, um, you can have incredible power. And if you just put your faith in Jesus and made the decision to follow him and give him your life, First of all, congratulations. We are so excited. We are so happy for you. And you're the reason why we do all of what we do. We, um, we want to reach those who are stranded in sin to find life and liberty in Jesus Christ. And so if that's you, um, be sure to click the Know God link at freshlifechurch.com. And we'd love to send you a Bible and some resources that will help you kickstart your relationship with God. And as you were listening to this teaching, if um, God was using it to impact your life, we would love to hear that. So if you would go to eyesofalion.com, um, we would love to hear your roar story and the things that God has done in your life and is doing in your life. It lights us up to know um, the things that God's doing in people's lives. It, it means so much to us. And if God has blessed you through the ministry here at Fresh Life Church and you'd like to partner financially with all God is doing above and beyond um, your tithe to your local church, um, it's easy to do that. If you go to freshlifechurch.com and click Give, um, it launches a secure giving page and it will enable you to set up one-time gift or um, recurring gifts. And um, it's just such an honor to, to get to be a part of what God is doing. And thank you so much for joining us, and God bless you.